afternoon and good evening. Wherever you may be listening, thank you very much for tuning in to the All You Listening Now podcast, where I will talk about any and everything. I am your host, Johnny Beckett, again for another week. Hey, yo, shout out to everybody out there who is not having to deal with severe winter weather. Many of y'all may not know this, but my mortal enemy on this earth is the cold. And right now, a winter storm is moving through North Texas, and I do not like it. Yes, I know the people up north, this is probably a mild summer for you guys, but in the south, yeah, yeah, we're not liking this too much. Y'all could probably hear the sleet hitting off the uh, window here as I record. Nevertheless, though, for all you people who have that warm weather, I'm envious, I just, I wish I could be there with you. But nevertheless, though, wherever you may be listening, I hope you have had a very good week because I know that I have as well. Well, let's just let me start off kicking off the show today by just mentioning to everybody. I know I've been asked this about why I haven't actually loaded anything to um, any one of my social media pages that I referenced here on shows in the past. It's mainly because as of right now, um, with everything going on, I currently don't have the time to actually upload anything. So my episodes for the podcast We'll go there um, to my Facebook page so that way you can pull and listen to the show from there. But right now, just don't have the time. Um, hopefully, I will later in the future so that way I can put up more content there. Um, but that is why um, you have not seen me post anything or either one of my two social media accounts in a while. But thank you all for actually, you know, checking in on that and I'm inquiring about it. However, the podcast, though, is being played anyway. Podcasts are being played nowadays. So when you tell your friends, family members, loved one, relatives, heck, it could be a stranger about the show. They can find the show anywhere. Podcasts are being played on those different platforms. There is a way to like, comment and even subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, it's a very, very simple way. So that will allow you to get the show anytime new episodes come out. So look for that option on the platform that you actually listen to the podcast on. If it has it in the description of the show notes, I leave timestamps for each segment of the show. That way you can go back, listen to some of your favorite segments. Of course, if you're crunched for time and can't listen to the entire show and you actually see a segment of the show that you actually like, you can actually go there and just play that particular segment go back and listen to the rest later. But on today's show, I want to start off with this. You know, one of the biggest talking points of this still fairly new decade, um, since we're just a couple years into it, is just what is misinformation. I've had a couple of different ideas around why this latest phenomenon is dangerous and causing way more harm than good. From what we have seen so far, this happens to be controlled by whoever is in power. And we can start here with just what's wrong with this whole concept. To keep this part simple, it's basically boils down, in my opinion, to whatever the party in power believes gets conveyed as the truth 
And it can be that at times, but when the truth is challenged, not only does it get labeled quickly as misinformation, but the person that is doing the questioning often is silenced and even attempts to counsel that person. Now, by doing this, it often leads to two more sub problems. The first being that if said misinformation is deemed to be correct, the side that was deeming it misinformation hardly ever actually admits to being wrong, which leads to the second sub point of this, which is the fueling of the mistrust that people already have in the quote unquote people who are supposed to have the correct information. Now that I've actually mentioned that, it does segue me into my next point of how labeling something that still hasn't been fully developed yet as misinformation cultures a country of distrust. For example, there is a simple reason why a show like the Joe Rogan Experience, Breaking Points, and even The Hill, for that matter, crush the ratings of cable news and just really actually general news, period. It's because while those shows try to get things right, and sometimes, and a lot of the times they do, you know, sometimes they don't, they are open to bringing folks on the show with different points of view to have conversations to challenge a theory or an idea. I learned a long time ago on the debate team that I was on in school that the best way to win a debate is to first have your side of the facts together, and then secondly, have the debate. You're never going to win a debate by ignoring or trying to shut a person up by not letting them speak. Doing that reminds me of a quote that says, if you cut out the tongue of a person that you believe is lying, it doesn't prove that person a liar. It can prove, however, that maybe you are afraid of what they might say because they could prove you the liar. So far in the pandemic that we have all been in, it appears the side that were screaming misinformation the loudest have had to change their opinions more than the folks that were speaking quote unquote misinformation. I think if we tallied it, I think that side might actually be winning. If anything, it's causing folks that have the opposite view to be further dug in, which actually doesn't help. It doesn't help because some of the things they are spouting is actually literally misinformation. Just not all the things they're saying. For you all that have listened to me in the past, you have heard me talk about how we should all be looking at a holistic approach to how we should handle this pandemic. And more importantly, we all have to be willing to call out people who are just flat out wrong in their views about this, regardless of what side you're on based on the science that is out there. If you see someone saying that they're trying to kill us by forcing you to take the vaccination, we need to call them out for misinformation or people who are saying that you can only catch COVID once. That's misinformation. We need to call them out. But on the same token, 
just as much people who still believe that cloth masks work or you can't spread COVID if you're vaccinated. We also need to call them out because that is misinformation too. Unfortunately, our society nowadays has boiled down to gas lighting virtue signaling of folks to justify their point of view and failing to point to when something from their point of view happens to be wrong. Think about this for a second. When is the last time you've heard someone on TV in major news that you actually enjoy watching or listening to say they were wrong about something that they were actually clearly wrong about. Now think about when was the last time someone you actually know personally admitted to being wrong. Heck, even yourself. When's the last time you've actually said, hey, you know what? I was wrong. Now, while holding that answer in your, you know, in your head to those questions, let me throw another one at you real quick. What level of trust do you have in not only media, but in people in general? If the answer to these questions is not so much or hardly at all, then this, my friends, is just part of the byproduct of what touting those things as misinformation without people being willing to hold everybody accountable for their information looks and feels like. For as long as humans have been alive, we have always tended to group up around people we better relate to, whether it be because of race, religion, or creed, which is understandable. Instead of grouping up in these areas, now we are starting to group up based on political party, jab status, and misinformation belief, which in my opinion isn't good, and all of this has taken place due to the mistrust built because of the concept of what misinformation is and isn't. As far as I'm concerned, no matter what side is coming from, it's all dangerous rhetoric. And all of this has contributed to costing people their lives, whether it be in this life or the next. All right, ladies and gents, let me switch gears to this topic. So for many of you listening that might have been investing in the stock market via individual stocks, mutual funds, Roth IRA, or 401k, I've had many people ask me if this is a good time to buy more stocks or maybe pull their money out since a crash might be coming. Both of these are great questions because who likes losing money or missing out on making money after all? If I were to guess, I would actually say no one. My first response when I get asked these questions is that I am not a financial advisor, nor can I tell you what to do with your money. And with that disclaimer out of the way, let me answer the question (laughs) Um, to measure if you should or should not buy in or pull your money out the stock market. Let's pay attention to history of just how the stock market tends to work. So over the last 10 years of the S&P 500, which is the benchmark 
um, used to measure, you know, this sort of thing. Normally, it has gone up on average of 13.6% in these last 10 years. Even when you look at the lowest return during this period, which was in 2018, when the S&P returned negative 4.4%, the average was still way higher than that, which tells me you should not take your money out of the market if you are investing for the long term, which as everybody knows, I am a long-term investor and that's exactly what I have religiously preached. If you own single stocks, as I also do, I follow a rule of thumb, which is knowing how much of a loss you can take in that particular name before you sell out and move that capital that you actually sell somewhere else. 25% drop in a single name is my number, but that can be different depending on your own risk tolerance. That's just my number. Even when I sell though, I'm like I, you know, like we talked, like I talked about a second ago, I'm looking into buying into another quality name because money sitting on the sideline that isn't working for you is not a good thing, which is actually the whole name of the game when you're actually trying to build wealth. The other reason I don't completely sell out of the market and I wouldn't actually advise it if I was that financial advisor or, of course, keeping your money on the sidelines too long is another rule I learned a long time ago, which is time in the market beats timing the market. There are many studies about this, but my favorite uh, study was actually posted on the Motley Fool um, website, which showed two investors both investing $100,000 over 20 years with one taking their money out of the stock market when they were trying to, you know, time the market and of course putting it back in and the other person just putting a hundred thousand dollars in and just leaving it. The one who left their money in over the other person outgained the person who was trying to time the market by $234,000 during that time which of course again screams that no matter how bleak the market can look at times, you have to hold your line and keep your money working for you. Yeah, it's going to be tragic checking your portfolio on the on the down day or the down week or even the down quarter, depending on what sector you might be invested in at that time, but it's better than missing out on money by what we used to say in the country, which is turning yellow and running. By the time you want or need to draw your money out, you will see how this particular strategy is actually the most effective. I've invested in the market for years now, and I got to tell you, it hasn't let me down yet. Take it from a person who I know I don't talk about finance a whole, whole lot on this, you know, on the podcast. But trust me, as somebody who follows this religiously daily, this strategy works. Any financial advisor, smart Vesta pro, whoever you talk to me, they're going to tell you the same thing. So don't fret. Keep your money in. All right, ladies and gents, let me switch gears to another subject that's 
getting talked about more and more and more, but I don't feel like it's actually had the coverage that it actually deserves. And that happens to be around um, Brian Flores, who is the ex-coach of the Miami Dolphins, and him actually filing a class action lawsuit against the NFL about um, their racist practices, their racist practices when it comes to hiring minority uh, coaches. So as you guys know, if you've listened to the, you know, if you've listened to me for a long time, you know that I'm not somebody who quickly plays the race card. You know, as a black man and a minority myself, I, I find it irresponsible when we are playing the most powerful card ever known to man any chance we get because it cheapens the power of that card. So when I want to play it, I make sure that it's actually racism. This, ladies and gents, is exactly racism. And this actually is what systemic racism looks like. Now, I do know that when you're a billionaire, whether you're white or black, but in this case, in the NFL's case, a white billionaire, it's going to be hard pressed for anybody to tell you how to run your team when you've made billions of dollars the way you've made it. However, Brian Flores and his lawsuit, which I believe a lot of other black coaches are going to join on to it, whether they already have a job or maybe out of the league right now, I can see more and more people jumping onto this because when you think about the fact that the NFL is a league that's predominantly black, I forgot the percentage number, but I think it's like plus 77% black. And you look at the head coaches that are in the NFL. There's 32 teams. There's currently one black coach and he happens to be in Pittsburgh and the Roonies who owned Pittsburgh were the team who actually implemented along with the help of John Wooten of the Fritz Pollard Alliance helped actually institute the Rooney rule which called for minorities to actually have an opportunity and to make sure that every team brought in a minority candidate to hire for their head coaching job. So it's kind of ironic that the one head coach that is black happens to work for that organization. Now it gets kudos to them, but it's a sham on everybody else. Now, granted, I know there's still, I think up until this point, there's still five head coaching vacancies left. So maybe we can get a minority to grab one of these jobs. But I have a very, very bad feeling that out of these five spots, maybe one might get it. It wouldn't surprise me if none gets it. Because like I stated a second ago, it's hard pressed to tell a white billionaire that you need to do something with your business. Much like I mentioned earlier, this is a perfect example of systemic racism. Systemic racism, all it means for getting anybody out there who might be curious about it, is that there's a system in place put up by, well, in this case, white people that suppresses the ability for any 
other race of people, normally minority, to actually benefit. This is exactly what's happening with head coaching jobs in the NFL when you have so many qualified candidates to take those jobs. It is literally, they're literally just throwing it in our faces because the way the NFL sees it, they're going to make money to give to take a line from one of my favorite wrestlers at the time, CM Punk. They're going to make money in spite themselves. Because they know that people are just going to continue to give money to the NFL. They're going to continue to watch football games. And it doesn't matter if they actually address this problem because we love our football. Y'all have heard me talk about it on this show the entire football season. I'm picking games. I'm watching them. You know, I'm giving my uh, analysis, my opinion on it. So they're just betting on the fact that, well, yeah, yeah, we're going to keep covering it. We're going to keep watching it. Doesn't matter if we don't actually give minorities a fair shake at a head coaching job. And of course, this just highlights a problem that the league has always had. This problem has always been here. I think the most minority coaches that the league has ever had, I think it was back in 2012 or 2014. It was was between that time, between 2012 and 2014. I think the league at one point had like nine minority um, head coaches. I think there were eight black. And then Ron Rivera, of course, was with Carolina. So that makes nine. Uh, So they had nine minority coaches. Head coaches. That was, and, 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 and people were like, wow, that's great. Think about how crazy this is, folks. Nine minority head coaches, there's still 32 teams. So it still wasn't even at 50%. But we were praising that as a success. If that don't tell you how much of a problem this is, and if you need more evidence, listen to how Brian Flores, if you haven't actually listened to his interview, just to give you a part of it, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. He actually talked about how when he was going in to interview this year for a head coaching job after he got let go from Miami and he got a text message from Bill Belichick, who I consider the GOAT as far as coaches go, but he gets a text message from him saying, hey, congratulations, uh, Brian. And so Brian Flores is like, well, well, maybe he knows something. I'm about to, you know, thinking that he's finna get something. So Brian texts him back, hey, you know, uh, appreciate that. You know, this is Brian Flores. And so Bill texts him back, oh, oh, uh, thought you was Brian Dayball. Um, well, you know, hey, not nice to talk to you, Brian. And the job that he was going through, Brian Dayball ends up getting, of course. So he already knew he was set up to fail. He already knew this was a sham of an interview. They were just bringing me in basically for formality's sake because the Rooney role mandated that they did it. Now, by Brian Flores doing this, there is a 100% chance, much like Kaepernick, he ain't getting back into the league. He's probably not going to get a head coaching job, which is a shame, but he says that he feels like he has to do what's right so that way Future black coaches won't have to go through this crap. And I commend that man. I applaud Brian Flores for this one. Again, I'm normally not one to pull the race card, but this right here deserves a race card. 
And every single one of those NFL owners, heck, they have more money than I'll probably ever make in my lifetime. But as just a human being, they should feel like they can do better than what they've been doing. Well, look, I'm not even saying that, you know, I'm not just caping up for black coaches. I'm caping up for black coaches, minority coaches, all of them. Because right now, one black coach, two minority coaches. Again, Ron Rivera is still with the football team. That's about to actually get a new name I heard. But anyway, that's besides the point. The point is, that's still two minority coaches out of 32 teams. When your league is predominantly black, NFL do better. And it's the NFL owners. I know some people might heap this on Goodell. Nope, this is not Roger Goodell's fault. Roger Goodell works for the owners, so he can only do what the owners actually tell him to do. This isn't Roger Goodell. This is totally on the NFL owners. They There needs to be more pressure put on those guys. The only way to put pressure on them is actually through money, right? By people not buying their merchandise, watching the game, stuff like that. That's how they're going to get hit. But again, I just don't believe that there's going to be that much people who's going to boycott it. I think more people are going to boycott Spotify and Joe Rogan than the NFL. Hey, we'll see what we'll see what comes with this class action lawsuit. I hope Brian Flores wins it. I'm pretty sure he will. I'm not a bed man, but if I was, I would put money on it. And I just hope that other coaches actually jump on and you know what would actually be powerful about this if on this class action lawsuit if a white if some white coaches jumped in the reason why i say that is because much like in civil rights or much like when anything for black people or any minorities for that matter has changed it took white people having to join in with the fight i know that black folks nowadays Some of them anyway, don't think that actually happened. They just think that, you know, we freed ourselves from slavery or we got civil rights passed by ourselves. But history, regardless of whether you try to change it or not, history actually says that we had support. So for me, getting a some white coaches to sign this too will actually, I think put more of an onus on the NFL owners to do the right thing and will put a greater impact on this lawsuit. I mean, it's still going to have it even if just minority coaches sign it. But if some white coaches jump on this, like, yeah, I believe there's some racism happening too with this, that right there. See that right there. That's how you invoke change that right there. So I hope that happens. We'll see. This is fairly new. He just actually, you know, filed this a couple of days ago. So we'll see. I hope. I know he went on, I think it was NBC and did a uh, interview. Brian Flores. I hope other networks bring him on. So that way he can actually talk about this because this needs to be talked about and something needs to definitely be addressed with it. But we'll see in due time. But all right, ladies and gents. That's all I have for today's show. Thank you very much for tuning in. Again, if you enjoy the content you're listening to here on the podcasting platform you listen to, like the show, leave me a comment, subscribe to the show so that way you can get the latest episodes. Tell your friends, tell your family members, tell your loved ones. Trust me, 
you guys' word of mouth has helped the show grow so much. And I truly appreciate you doing that for me. It helps me out a ton. Can't thank you all enough. Nevertheless, have a very good week. And I will talk to you all later. Peace.